Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. That's... Yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Uh, you can laugh. I have to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. You don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I managed to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to your face, not say it to you now. I'm down Twelfth Field, and we'll see them. What you doing down here, you shiny man? 30-year anniversary and you wouldn't change it one bit. That just sums up the Premier League on and off the pitch. Absolutely fantastic. Wouldn't change it for a minute. The words of Jamie Carragher in the moments after the full-time whistle was blown on a tumultuous London derby at Stamford Bridge. You're welcome to the show, everybody, and a happy 30th Premier League birthday, Ken, Murph. Happy oh, birthday. Oh, it's, it, what a glorious day, Owen. Thanks, Owen. Hello there. It's a doubly special occasion for us today because this is the first Monday football pod the three of us have recorded in our brand new studio. We've recently moved into our new office and may I say it's so nice to be able to look you both in the eye when talking, which is just how Jamie Redknapp likes it. Just look at me when I'm talking to you. You didn't win the league for 30 years. That was Redknapp to Gary Neville on Saturday after the Brentford Man United match. And I can only assume Thomas Tuchel was watching that coverage and got it into his Mm. head that failing to look another person in the eye is the ultimate show of disrespect because he felt Antonio Conte's level of eye contact during the post-match handshake was not of the required level and all hell subsequently <laughs> broke loose. So it's just lovely to be sitting across from you guys in the studio. I'm able to eyeball you both intensely yes. for the next hour, hour and a half. Yes, son. Are you ready for this, Kieran? I'm entirely ready It's actually for quite it, uncomfortable. I'm going to go no. back and look at my computer yeah, screen. I mean, Is that okay? Oh, laptop's just, fine. Yeah, 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 that'll do the job. It's already been a pretty eventful Premier League season after only two games. Come to the World Service and enjoy our full coverage every week. Secondcaptains.com. Five or a month plus VAT. Just ask any World Service members in your life. I'm sure they'll vouch for how much they get out of the daily pods. We've got Dion Fanning and Laurie Whitwell on the show today after what is sure to be an action-packed report on sport. Well, Alan, here we are talking about the talking about of the game. <laughs> See, I love talking about the talking about of the yeah. game. Yeah, uh, you know, it's small Red, doses, Redknapp but... telling Gary Neville to look at him while he's talking to him about Manchester United. Shout at him. Look at him while look he's shouting at him. I remember Wenger saying that, look at me when yeah. I talked to you. Um, I like that stuff. No, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, look, you can say what you like about, you know, your Jamie Redknapps, your, your Gary Neville's, but... It was Graham Soonis' day. It was Graham Soonis' weekend. I mean, if you told me at half seven 
on Saturday evening that we'd be sitting here talking about a Sky Sports pundit that wasn't either Jamie Redknapp or Gary Neville. I'd have been pretty yeah. surprised. I mean, looking for Ten and Hag, yes. by the way, everything, United have been relegated to second place on yes. the agenda here today. Oh, don't worry, we'll get to oh, that. Oh, we sure. certainly will. Look, I mean, we, we might as well. Will we, will we hear Graham soon is rejoicing in the, the return of all, all that is great about the game? I think we've got our football back today. I think we've got our football back. As I as I would enjoy football, men at it, you know, blow for blow, and the referee let them get on with it. Well, the referee actually sent off both managers. He <laughs> <laughs> didn't let them completely out. Even that I was interested in. Tuchel was, they were both sent off, but then Tuchel was allowed to wander around the pitch. Afterwards. I think he just sort of ignored. I think when you're, think when you're red carded, off. you're supposed to, even after the match, well, you're supposed to leave ah. the playing area. Well, you were being sent, you sent off. So he just, I mean, the red card is surely, the, the, the punishment is carried forward to the next game. You know, like the tentacles of the English Premier League disciplinary uh, system cannot extend beyond surely the... The, the final whistle of the referee. Well, the tentacles of the disciplinary system have extended around Thomas Tuchel and have wrapped around him and mm. are pulling him close because he's being investigated for his explosive commentary after the game about um, uh, the referee, uh, Anthony Taylor. But let's just concentrate on that sentiment from Grant Sims. We've got our football back. Men at it, blow for blow. At it. Men at it. And... I mean, I just love it because it's, it, it is like he's expressed the sentiment in the classic reactionary terms. You know, mm. we've got our we've got our country back. Yes. You know, make the Premier League great again. <laughs> and and, the, and it is great now. It's great because referees um, are ignoring fouls. That's the, the that seems to be the logic, yes. basically. So, so the referee ignores fouls. So Chelsea were annoyed in this game, obviously, because um, as far as I mean, I think Rhys James was saying after both goals were should have been disallowed. I disagree with him actually. Uh, that about certainly about the first one um, when there was a foul on Havertz. Well, pitch. rather, I do agree with him that the goal shouldn't have happened because the referee should have enforced the rules against Havertz. Yeah, but having failed to do that, I don't feel as though there was enough of a case to go back and say, well, there was actually foul on Kai Harris five minutes ago. It had gone on ago. so long yeah. after that. Mm. The, the, the ball had gotten had pinballed around a bit. At one stage, Chelsea had possession of it quite clearly and actually and then lost it again, failed to play it out of their own box. So that's one. I never have much sympathy, for, to be honest, for teams who are claiming something from way back up the other end yeah. of the pitch when there's a million different but things if, if, if you, and, and sorry if you've if had even applying the rules you've, yeah. you've got possession surely whatever phase of play is uh, has been gone past at that stage mm. it's relevant to the yeah, the goal. Uh, you know, I mean, the, the the case with Henderson on the first weekend against Fulham was was a, a stronger case, I would have said, because you know the, the Fulham got the ball, went straight up the pitch, and scored. So in this case, I, I don't think you can. It's like it was a mistake by the referee, but you have to just move on from it yeah. at, that, at that point. The second one, um, Chelsea are obviously annoyed because clearly there was a foul by Romero on uh, Cucurella. Yeah, yeah. And it shouldn't have been cornered to Tottenham, which they immediately scored from. It should have been a free kick to Chelsea. But it falls into the cracks of like the VAR rulings where if, if they don't think it's a red card, then... It, now, you could say this should be a red card. He's pulled, he's pulled his hair mm. and like yanked him to the ground. As Louis van Gaal said, in sex masochism, that's fine. Yeah. In all other areas of life, hair pulling, not allowed. It's, it's just... Uh, so, I mean, yeah. Memory. What are you I, looking at me like that no, for? That's a good memory. I think <laughs> well, there's a strong just, case. I told you, I'm going to be looking at you all yeah, day. I know, it's Don't worry about that. We're in studio. Yeah. I mean, uh, but he did say the word sex masochism in an extremely strong Dutch accent. That's the sort of thing that stays in a man's head. But but that, okay, so there's a there's a stronger case there. But the point, but what was interesting then was to see the the joy with which, actually, the one thing students didn't like was hair pulling. 
Mm. It was the one thing he had a problem with the whole the whole game. Yeah. But like the the Harvard's foul, right? That's clearly a foul. Yeah. So it was obviously foul in in real time, and it's not it's not whistled because they've created a climate where we don't we don't whistle those. They're, you know, we're going to let people away with those. And, and as as Graham Sinus explained, he thought that this was there was, there was the question also on that goal about whether or not there was a player in the line in, in Mendy's line of sight. That that might have been what they were equally as annoyed about. It's another probably debatable more, one. Yeah, I would have potentially brought that into the equation. But that's if that's I'm, less of I'm a manly concern. Yeah. you know, I mean, you know, there's offside is offside. What we're talking about is getting our game back. Yeah, get, getting our game back because what we don't want is is simulation. Simulation, break it down. What does it actually mean? You're cheating. You're, you're trying to buy a fall. As someone said one day, buying a fall, what does that mean? Oh, well, you're, you know, you're, it's not really a fall, but you're hoping to get one. We don't want to see that in our game. The English game is so different to any other football. It's always been more honest and in your face and tougher and, and but is that more the one, exciting. Is that the one thing that so the, the theme of, of English exceptionalism, I mean, definitely is being warmed to here mm. um, and continued in, in another... <laughs> <laughs> exchangers yeah, it was Karen Carney was was obviously there with with Sunis and um, Carragher and um, well tried to make some points about the game uh, <laughs> or some things that the players were manipulating the football that, that stuff uh, but you know we can hear what's that got to do with it <laughs> let's just take it away you saw at the end where we we don't necessarily agree with all that aggro at the end but it happened and that's because speak for yourself <laughs> but, but, but Conte is trying to bring that intimidation factor his recruitments have been all six foot players trying to add that and I think that's what we've seen from this Spurs side today they never gave up I think referees are letting a lot more go and it makes for a far better watch you know we've all played the game when you see simulation people throw themselves to the ground I've not seen that in the two games today. It's, it's a man's game all of a sudden again. And the referee, I thought, had a fabulous game other than something we'll point out later. But I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed both games today. That, okay, you know, the, if there is such a thing as a purist who watches football, might get a wee bit excited on themselves when the two managers are, are getting upset with each other. But I'm sorry, it's professional sport. That's what it's all about. You want to win so much. Sometimes you're, you can let go of your emotions and embarrass yourself. It's a man's game, but as Karen points out, it's also a woman's game as well. We saw the former Chelsea captain make a few tackles in a time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she would have enjoyed it out there, so that's there we for are, sure. Um, it's a man's game all of a sudden again. I don't know if the lioness is stuck in somebody's craw over the summer. <laughs> it has been pointed out over the last 24 hours, indeed <laughs> yesterday, that um, women's football did come on in leaps and bounds over literally over the last few weeks. Yeah. And Karen Carney is sitting there. As but the empire has uh, struck back. Footballer. <laughs> yeah. Men are going at it. And... <laughs> I always just think of, of I, I, in my head, that scene in Women in Love. Do you know the scene I'm talking about? The, the famous movie, um, Ken Russell, is it? Uh, it's, oh, it's, it's the, is this, um, oh, the, the two lads wrestling naked having eaten their dinner. Yes. Nice, Murph, you're on fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. Day. It is Ken Russell. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm trying, it's, it's Richard, uh, it's not Richard Burton. It's the other lad. It's the great, the the very great Oliver Reed. Oliver Reed, uh, not Richard. The Burton. other lad. Yeah, a, yeah. One, a wonderful. The Aldi Richard Burton, <laughs> a, a beautiful madman, Oliver Reed, who uh, just whips off his clubs. Well, the two of them do, of course. Mm. Alan Bates, mm. Mr. Bates, and Mr. Reed just absolutely go at it. And if you've not seen this, I mean, it's from D. H. Lawrence, you know. Mm. Um, did and and I mean, there's something about the the glistening flesh. In, you know, uh, warmed by the the fire, the, mm. they're, they're doing it all in front of a roaring fire. That's just you know. I suggest you seek it out on YouTube. 
Uh, but of course, uh, they explain one of them has been to Japan or something and done some jujitsu, mm. and uh, so they kind of say, "Well, why don't you know? Why don't we do it? Well, you can't do much in a start shirt. Well, why not strip and do it properly?" And so they, uh, so the two men began to struggle together. Mm. They were very dissimilar. Birkin, tall and narrow, his bones thin and fine. Jared was much heavier and more plastic. His bones were strong and round. His limbs were rounded. His contours were beautifully and fully molded. He impinged upon the other man, scarcely seeming to touch him like a garment, and suddenly piercing an intense fine grip that seemed to penetrate into the very quick of Jared's being. They practiced grips and throws. They became accustomed to each other, to each other's rhythm. They got a kind of mutual physical understanding. And again, they had a real struggle. They seemed to drive their white flesh deeper and deeper against each other, as if they would break into a oneness. Birkin had a great subtle energy that would press against the other man with an uncanny force, weigh him like a spell put upon him. Then it would pass, and Jared would heave free with white, heaving, dazzling movements. So the two men entwined and wrestled with each other, working nearer and nearer. Nearer to what? We wonder. The conclusion of the wrestle. Again. I don't, it just sounds to me like two lads having a laugh. They wrestled swiftly, rapturously intent, mindless. At last, two essential white figures working into a tighter, closer oneness of struggle with a strange octopus-like knotting and flashing of limbs in the subdued light of the room. Kind of like the FA's disciplinary body mm. wrapping itself around Thomas yes. Tuchel. Yeah. Now and again came a sharp gasp of breath or a sound like a sigh and the rapid thudding of movement on the thickly carpeted floor. The strange sound of flesh escaping under flesh, etc. Yeah. This is basically what you're saying is Chelsea 2, Tottenham Hotspur <laughs> This two. is our game. In short, Chelsea 2, Spurs. Can I just say, by the way, the, the, the heat in this studio today, I feel like I might be getting a you little are. bit like our friend Jared there myself. Yeah. I might go full, the, the wrestling mightn't happen, but I whatever, think, whatever I think some right de-clothing de might be about to happen yeah. soon. Uh, Can't go on. So, you know, this is, this is the thing, man going at it. That's what we want. That's what we all want, right? That's what we want. And, um, and the, the logic of the point is that this is going to make the Premier League better because everybody wants to see this man going at it. But is it actually, I mean, does this logic actually stand up? Mm. You know, it's, it's as though, like, Sunus is kind of arguing that, like, uh, well, was this really needed? Was, is, it, is it the story that after the end of, uh, at the 30-year mark or whatever, the Premier League, that, well, no one's watching it. The, you know, the game is, the game's gone. It's, it's a bloodless uh, spectacle. Um, no, no one really cares about it. You know, they, they're, they're struggling to get the games on TV anywhere. No one's watching it around, you know, yeah. uh, you know it's fallen behind all the other leagues. Is that the, is that the story? No, no, Ken. It's no. The, obviously, it's the opposite no. of that, right? It's it actually, is. So this just seems to me like the classic, it's, it's classic boomer logic. Yeah. You know, where you just, where things have got a certain way owing to certain conditions. So you just, let's, let's kick all those conditions away and assume that it will continue as normal. You know what I mean? What I'm, my, my point is that this success story, which, is, which um, the Premier League, I guess, has been in a lot of ways, mm. Uh, has taken place. And happy birthday to the Premier League, by the way. Has taken place in the context of tightening uh, the rules in order to, well, if you can remember why that that happened in the first place, it was to allow skillful players to play football as opposed to just being kicked around by not skillful players, mm. right? That was that's actually why. It kind of reminds me of like you know the it it seemed like fascism made a comeback within like two or three years of the last survivors of World War Two uh, dying. Remember. Yeah. yeah. And this is kind of similar. It's like the last Achilles tendon pain. <laughs> you know, the, the uh, forwards from like the late 80s and, and early 90s are now sufficiently old for them to just file that aching pain in their Achilles tendon down to like, ah, 
just wear and tear. Basically, <laughs> you know, like, I'm 60 years old. It's just wear and tear. Uh, and the second that happened, within a couple of years, this was bound to happen. There is an argument here, though, Ken, that... Yeah. Things have moved on so much in the last 30 years, football-wise, right? The technical level has moved up. The tactical level has moved up. And you know, if you think about the early 90s, it was coming out of the 80s. And it re- really was quite brutal back then. I think even as kids watching, we probably would have been aware this is a fairly, actually a fairly violent sport. And certainly the, the World Cup in 1990, we all know that was a, a kind of a flashpoint in the whole thing. And uh, everything ended up getting changed. But the point being that now... All that other stuff has moved on. There's no reason necessarily that it's just going to suddenly be literally booted out. It, there's maybe a happy medium that can now be hit by reintroducing a more lenient interpretation, uh, interpretation of the rules. But well, strengthened from a position of strength. The league is strong, yes, but maybe this is a way of allowing it to get even stronger. I, I, I don't know. I don't understand why dispensing with the rules, which have been pretty successful in, in making the game faster and higher scoring, is good thing to do i mean basically to bring in to to bring in equalizers which make it um easier to be a player who doesn't have much ability you know what i mean like to like well i mean what we're i suppose what what Owen is saying and which i'm perhaps i even agree with is that you know all of the meats of the football stew can now can now exist together yeah that it, it, like there's no way that you could watch Chelsea Spurs yesterday and not have enjoyed the shit out of it. I mean, it was extremely enjoyable. I thought it was kind of ridiculous, though. Well, rid- you know, what's, like, what's ridiculous? Like I know, the, extremely people are like, enjoyable. oh, isn't it so great? It's so great seeing uh, Tuchel and Conte. You know, <laughs> they're ridiculous. Well, I, like I middle-aged men losing their dignity. What's good about that? Like, I mean, this is just. What, what, what's to enjoy about this? It was I mean, it is to be laughing at, at their at Yeah, their expense. exactly. Of course, of course we were laughing at their expense. What's more interesting than laughing at middle-aged men? Yeah, you know, <laughs> is it going to be... It's literally nothing better than laughing at middle-aged <laughs> men making tits out of them. Is it just as funny, is it just as funny the next time, you know? Or is it just like... Well, uh, no, but I'm just saying it, know, it doesn't have doesn't to happen even do anything. This guy doesn't even do anything on the sideline. He just sits there, you know, he doesn't even wrestle the other manager. You know, he doesn't. They don't grasp, grapple with each other on the in front of the f- fire. Everything in moderation, except moderation, Kent. You know, that, <laughs> I, I think that I think that one gigantic thirty-person sideline bust up a month is probably loads. Yeah, I mean, once every even two months. I mean, I'm not. I'm. It's not even that I'm being particularly greedy no. here, but surely the sight of a very small Italian man pointing and gesticulating in the face of a very tall German man. In London, England, is exactly the sort of thing the Premier League was built upon. <laughs> come on, Scott, yeah, come on. Yeah. Okay, well, you know, in, if, in there, terms if of this... If they'd been the same height, maybe it would have been less funny. In, ter- but it was in terms of this, this sort of, this pantomime stuff, you know, to make it more digestible to, mm. you know, Gaelic football um, people... Listen, I like what I like, <laughs> and I liked that yesterday. <laughs> but but in in terms of what actually happens on the field, this um, this whole let it flow, um, you know, fouls or fouls are fine now, is uh, is is actively bad for for football. I mean, it's bad, obviously, in the case of um, you know when these teams have to adjust to playing the the standard rules, the international rules, which they'll have to play in the World Cup or the Champions League or whatever, then. It's a, they have to remember to, to reset, you know, basically all the stuff that you think you can do, you can't, you yeah, can't see, do that's interesting drills. though, because I think uh, a lot of people have, like say, watched the Euros last summer and, and saw refereeing that was actually a lot more lenient than the Premier League refereeing of the previous couple of seasons. And 
Now, there's a point to be made there, I think, about the standard of refereeing. Obviously, you're getting the best European referee. So it wasn't so much that it was like a cultural decision. It was just more referees getting sort of the 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 marginal calls correct. But it did seem like more physical contact was allowed in the Euros last season than had been allowed in the Premier League of the previous three or four years. And that's basically what's prompted this let it flow uh, change in attitudes from the Premier League. Well, you know, they they think. I mean, the the idea, I suppose, is to have a higher tempo game. I mean, as the the phrase "let it flow" implies, you know, we don't want stoppages all the time. But actually, what you end up with is a slower game. Um, because Are we sure that's going to happen, though, because it hasn't happened yet. You know, it's been quite entertaining over the first couple of weeks. Um, well, I mean, it's been it's been okay. Like, I mean, the, you know, the game yesterday. What. I didn't really think it was that good, the Chelsea talk. I mean, I didn't think it was that good a game, did you? Did, I mean, it was fast. It was kind of, you know, it was, it was combative. Um, High octane. Yeah. I, I mean, it wasn't, I don't think it was a classic game. But the point is that, when, that, is that wait, to, wait till see how teams adapt to the new rules. Mm. So it, if, you were, they, if you're allowed foul more, teams will do that. Mm. Right? Already they do that. So there's the study that um, we mentioned it when we were talking to... Um, Dion and uh, and Laurie. Laurie. Um, the study is called The Dirty League. English Premier League provides higher incentives for fouling as compared to other European soccer leagues. Now, bearing in mind, this is with the old rules. Um, so basically, they looked at this. These are a bunch of Ger- pointy-headed Germans, mm. obviously. You know, it's yeah. a university. Oh, so can you imagine? We're, we're going to get have, lectured to by the Germans. Have any of these? Have any of these Germans, you know, played at the highest level? Mm. Um, Daniel Memmert, I see, is, is this Make sure to story? mention this to Graham Sunis next time you're talking to him. I've met Daniel, I've met Daniel Memmert. I'm, I met him at the University in Cologne, and uh, he's a nice man, but I don't believe he ever managed at the highest level. <laughs> sorry, sorry, you met him at the University of Cologne? Yeah. That's a whole other story. I was over at the Univers- Sports, okay. Sports University Cologne in, in 2014, and Daniel, Daniel Memmert, I, I, I met the man. Uh, he was talking all about neural networks at that time. Mm. The, here he's just talking about fouling, and basically the study shows that the more you foul, the better you do. Right. <laughs> Obviously, the trick is to foul, but not get yellow and red cards. Because okay. when you get them, they're bad. Okay. But okay. Uh, more fouling is po- positively correlated with more points and positively correlated with fewer goals conceded. Right. So the more you foul, the less you tend to concede. That's a measurable trend in across European leagues, but mostly in the Premier League. This is before they changed the rules to basically say fouling is fine. So in other words, fouling now, you, there's even less chance of getting a yellow card. So what are you going to get? More fouls. Right, so that's what that's what we're saying. We want. Let's have more fouls. Right. We've also got VAR. Now, <laughs> sorry, right. But if you were in a situation where you didn't have VAR and you had this fast, furious game, men going at it all over the place, too many men for the for the referee to keep mm. an eye on at once. Right. The men are just at it everywhere, and there lots of stuff is happening, and it's just it's getting through. What can you do? Let it flow. Yeah. Right. It's all flowing through. So it's a torrent. It's a gushing torrent of manhood. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay, that's bad. But in, in this case, we we can see all this all this stuff. We're we're watching it all. We can see it all, uh, and you're going to have uh, let it flow fouls happening in the penalty area, which like we've we've already seen that happen this season. Penalty not given. VAR doesn't give the penalty. It's a, it turns into a scandal. And what happens then is all of these people going. The refs are corrupt, right? And conspiracy theories about referees, and that's literally what we can see happening 
with the with the Taylor thing. I think it's just putting the referees in a really difficult position. It's basically saying, don't enforce the rules, except, you know, when obviously common sense says you have to enforce them. You know what I mean? It's, mm. it's impossible. It's like, it, so it just becomes arbitrary. It just becomes like, it becomes an arbitrary, that becomes, that means injustice, right? And injustice means anger, conspiracy theory, rage. Is this what we wanted? Is this the... Let loose the refs of war, Ken. <laughs> Like, you know, a dirtier game, more teams that are saying we're going to foul more because you can. Um, maybe it will level things out a little bit, you know? You know, with, with these little Bernardo Silva just getting kicked to the ground. You know, that's, is that what we want? Is that, is that, that is apparently, that's apparently what we want. I don't think it's a good uh, trend. And then I, I haven't even mentioned the, the major casualties that then sometimes result, you know, the sort of Harvey Elliott's or whatever. Poor old Harvey Elliott has internalized so much of this nonsense that he even like was was like sort of apologizing to like the guy who broke his leg <laughs> you know what i mean it's like well look i love i love playing football like that well but we're only okay, two maybe. games into the season ken like like a lot of these things i think there, there's a point to be made early on i'm glad you've, you've staked your flag in the ground here on this one yeah i'm not totally convinced yet but we'll i'll doff my cap to you come the end of the season if uh, we're watching a really slow plodding late 1980s style football dominate the english game yeah, well, you know, people people will adapt to the to the rules they um, to the rules they are given. Anyway, uh, was there any other big stuff that happened over the weekend? <laughs> Just thinking with Sanders, actually, he had a big week because he got he uh, he Tyrone Mings. I don't know if you saw this hit back at Sunis. Uh, this was uh, um, after he wrote a he wrote a uh, thing saying, uh, well, this is what he wrote. I won't be joining the love in for Tyrone Mings. I actually wasn't. I didn't notice the love in. Uh, I didn't know. I wasn't aware they're, they're more the love in. keenly attuned to that sort of that sort of thing is taking place around the place. I won't be joining the love in for Tyrone Mings. The man Stephen Gerrard has stripped of the Aston Villa captaincy in a move which summed up in one sentence says, "I just don't fancy you." Mings is well loved in the dressing room. Apparently, this is as soon as his new Daily Mail column. He's moved to Daily Mail from the Sunday Times. Well. When he appeared a couple of times on Zoom for shows we were doing on Sky Sports during lockdown, I thought, for a young man who's not achieved anything in the game, you have a hell of a lot to say. <laughs> this is like a guy who's invited on the show. I know. This guy, I think the Sky producers want him to have a lot to say. Probably why he's there. He's been talking about how footballers are viewed as commodities at the time. I asked him if he didn't think players were incredibly fortunate to be doing their job. He had an answer for me, of course, but that encounter told me a lot. <laughs> As Captain of Liverpool, sounds like a really good guest for one of those shows. Yeah. <laughs> Having won a great deal and captain of my country, I could not have offered up an opinion in a team meeting. And if I had, there would have been Joe Fagan and Roy Moran shaking their heads and Bob Paisley pretending he didn't hear me. And it never did me any harm. He mm. doesn't add, but you know, mm. <laughs> I mean, that's just like, why do you have team meeting? Well, I suppose to, yeah, the team meeting is a kind of a team lecture or whatever. Yeah, the team lecture. But certainly uh, those days, it sounds Joe, like Ronnie, that. and Bob. Uh, you know, tell you what's what, and you, including the thirty-year-old captain, sits there. So now it seems like an affront when this throne makes. He hasn't, you know, what's he ever done? Mm. Uh, you're also not his manager, though, I suppose, Graham. You know, at the end of the day, you're just two people on a Sky Sports podcast or whatever, filling out some you know, COVID content. Yeah. I know, <laughs> and uh, getting annoyed because he seems to have too much to say on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> some, some All right, sorry, can I speak here? Excuse me. <laughs> Well, I only retired 40 years ago. Someone needs to hear from me. What a weird article. That Zoom call I was invited on was two years ago, and he said nothing to me at the time. Now he wants to drag me into his pointless column. By the way, I've achieved plenty from where I started. Happy to chat things through if you ever need me. Thumbs up. So that's Tyrone Mings. It was all coming up Tyrone Mings this weekend because he was obviously dropped by Stephen Gerrard uh, and de-captained 
Mm-hmm. You know, his epaulets were torn off and he was, his sword was broken and all this and pretty humiliating. Give me the epaulet that you've tucked in your sock, Mings. <laughs> He's straight. The spare one. And the other one. And, Come on. And yet, uh, having having not played in that game, which they lost to Bournemouth, he was straight back into the team uh, alongside new signing Diego Carlos, who's ruptured his Achilles. So it looks like Tyrone Mings is once again indispensable to this. Uh, Carlos uh, ruptured his Achilles in the game against Everton, which obviously the Gerard Lampard showdown. How they must, how they must hate each other. <laughs> just well, like they never be free of each other, just constantly. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was uh, it was not a, not a great game. Well, what else was happening? Was there anything else? Stop teasing, Ken. Come on. Well, give the crowd what they want. I mean, where do you start with that? Where do you start with this? Maybe this the first goal, Brentford. and then the second goal, and then possibly followed by the third. And you could even well, you start before you start before the first goal because because Brentford um, immediately were, you know, you kind of looking at it. Thought, mm, this is another awkward team for them to play. You know, United have not been lucky mm. in terms of the way that that the fixtures have. Ah, awkward. Come on, it's fucking uh, Brentford, like <laughs> yeah, I know. No, no. I, 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 I know, know what you're yeah. going to say. They're yeah, they're, yeah. they're a very well they're drilled well team. Coach. They have a system. Yeah, same yeah. as Brighton, but so are a lot of teams in the Premier League. <laughs> you can't exactly say it's a nightmare fixture list. Well, like I mean, for instance, City's fixture list: West Ham and then Bournemouth. Yeah, United probably would have won. Those okay, but games, United could you know have I mean? had they could have had City and then Liverpool. You know what oh, I mean? Oh, they have Liverpool next. Yeah. Okay. After two matches that sh- they shouldn't be losing two 0 and four 0 <laughs> It's amazing. Yeah. They've got a oh, well. It was two one. Got a, two a manager. Two one. That's, manager that's with a half a brain, as Ronnie Collins would say. And you that's see that basically what we're saying. It's. I mean, you see Thomas Frank after the game. You know, his eyes glittering. You know, like this is a career triumph. Like this is the kind of result that gets you a bigger job. You know, mm. down down the line. Um, but for Ten Hag, you're just looking. At this, how can you, how can you let this happen? I mean, how can, how could they not have acted earlier in the game? You could see what was happening, you know. So the so the first goal comes from from them trying to play out, and already you can see what Brentford are going to do. They're just like all over. They're they're just like okay, we we think you're going to pass it here, so we're going to run to arrive there at the same time the ball does, and we're going to try and win the ball. And uh, they ended up forcing United or giving away a throw just by the corner flag because Maguire was kind of charged down. And then the throw, everyone is marked. So Dallow, I think, taking the throw, like throws it really far to Ronaldo, who's like, you know, there's, there's seven Brent- Brentford players sort of around the ball. Ronaldo then uh, gets it, thinks he's fouled, uh, but let it flow. And suddenly Brentford, you know, the United team is all over that side. Brentford get it across to Silva shot, and then the hair just... I mean, De Gea throws it in, right? So yeah. that was like, De Gea still needs to needs to stop it. The second one happens like what eight minutes later, and it's the same thing. And, no, but it, but it also it's it's not just. Remember what happened? Mm. It it was uh, playing out. The ball comes from Maguire. Maguire's standing there with the ball, and like the game, he's come to a total stop. And it's like, where am I? Where am I going? Going to go with this ball? And he's kind of gesticulating to people. Oh, why? Why is there? You think why is there no one out there to the side for him to? You know, there's no one for him obviously to pass it to. He ends up losing it. Uh, did he try to pass it forward and it's cut and it's cut out? But what happened then was Brentford then goes straight through the middle. Maguire runs back and chops the guy down. What could have been a red card, you know, if, the, if Martinez mm. had been slightly different position. So they get a free kick, which they knocked over the bar. But the really dangerous set piece to Man United is their own goal kick, and this is where they then, you know, and just. But how can this happen? Like how, when you've seen it, somebody you've seen it already happen several times in the game. You're like, okay, we need to change what we're doing here quickly to try and stop this 
pattern of what's happening. Like they have to do that. And if the players aren't doing it, if the players aren't aren't thinking this themselves, then Ten Hag has to be down screaming at them. And we've seen Ten Hag scream at players, you know, during the, remember the, there was footage of him in one of the preseason games screaming at Ten Hag, David, what the fuck are you doing? This was at Ten Hag, yeah. who had just booted the ball clear, right? So maybe Ten Hag is thinking, oh, you know, yeah. uh, I don't want to be angry. I hate him when he's angry. Um, but again, just this ridiculous, like slow kicking the ball out and everyone's sort of standing there and, and, and like, what are you doing? To Ericsson, who's who's marked, and then bang, it's a goal, and you're like, okay, well, that's game over. Now, it's li- it's game over, but it's all it's also game over thanks to what we've done to ourselves. And I mean, I just don't understand how th- there isn't this sort of a more basic. I am now doing a Graham Sooners on it. How can you not say, look, we need to get through the next five ten minutes without mm. conceding a goal and try and play into play this. some territory? I can, I can only think. To play some territory. Absolutely, I, that's what Brentford would do. I, I, they would absolutely, as as Thomas Frank happily explained afterwards. He was, as you're saying, he was, I, I like those interviews with winning managers against oh, the bigger victory teams. Laps, the victory laps laps so yeah, good, yeah. I'll try to be humble about this, but really, I'm not going to try to be too humble at all. Yeah. But the, the only thing I presume is that Ten Hag has stamped his is trying to stamp his authority, his style of play, getting everyone to buy into it. And somewhere in his head, he's thinking, if I abandon that because we're under a bit of pressure and one nil down in a match early on and, and say, OK, actually forget about everything we did pre-season, let's batten down the hatches. I'm going to lose respect for me and for my game plan. That could be it. Yeah, I mean, but at the same time, so I you think gotta keep you're going to also going to lose respect for you and your game plan when you completely ineptly execute the game plan and lose four nil to Brentford, concedes four goals in 25 minutes. This is the issue. And, is the issue. and for all that, and people are, you know, nobody's really hammering Ten Hag yet, but you, you can, and I'm sure most Manchester United fans would take, I don't know, I can't, but I presume you'd like take a sixth or seventh place or something if you saw, if there was some progress there, potentially some players regaining form, all that kind of stuff. But like Ten Hag's not going to get that far if he keeps losing 4-0 to admittedly, Ken, incredible opposition like Brentford. No, and I think you have to also take into account, like, I, can, is this practical? Can I, can I do this with these players? And, and I feel like with the team he picked against Brentford, it's really not, right? You, R- R- Ronaldo is, is a front. I mean, there's a lot of stuff happening with Ronaldo at the moment. We'll talk about with Laurie. Uh, conflicting reports about him. I kind of feel like he's probably not going to be there, but you know, we'll we'll wait and see. I mean, he's surprised me by being there this long. Um, but obviously, he's not going to. You, you can't sort of do any kind of pressing with him. I mean, we, you, know, you can't. Uh, it's it's sort of denying reality. Can you play this way with Davide as your goalkeeper? I don't think you can. No, I don't think he can't do it. And and uh, and and uh, Tanag after the game saying, "Oh, he can't do it." I've seen him do it in training. Well, he can't do it, right? Maybe he's training against your players. Right, if he was training against Matthias Jensen you know, and Brentford, mm. then maybe the, the flaws would start to become more apparent here. Who's actually supposed to be closing he's, down? He's 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 an absolute dinger, uh, getting past the Ronaldo press every every day. Yeah. I, did, I did feel a little bit sorry for De Gea in that Eric. That was a bad touch by Eriksson by his standards. I know it's not a ball you should be receiving where he was with a player behind him, but. If Christian Eriksen received that ball in midfield, you'd be expecting him to turn and mm. knock it away. But it, it just showed up very early in the season that De Gea, of course, he's not a passing goalkeeper. No. He's not going to suddenly become one at this stage of his career. No, he's the least passing goalkeeper in the league. Statistically? Yes. He's the, the, the last season, no keeper att- attempted fewer passes than De Gea. No keeper 
made fewer uh, sweeper keeper outside the box interventions than De Gea. Right? He's he's the most traditional. He's most Pat Jennings. Old, he's, a, he's a he's a table football on the, defend the line. You know, shot stopping mm. goalkeeper. Right? Who's he's a back, it's before the back pass rule. Right? Was invented. Pat goalkeeper. Jennings with gloves. Mm. Do Pat Jennings have gloves? Can't quite. Only remember. on very wet days. Yeah. That I mean, and, and De Gea. Cotton jobs. De Gea is is uh, also is a brilliantly gifted player, and this is what makes it difficult, really. I think with the, with De Gea. You know, to to accept that, like, if you want to play this way, he's not. You're not going to be able to do it with him. Is Cuevin Gallagher the answer? Cuevin Gallagher would be the answer. Kevin, Kevin Bazuna would be a better option for 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 Man United. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Um, Cuevin Gallagher, I think, would be would be better. I mean, is he as good a goalkeeper as David Haya? I mean, remains to remains to be seen. Probably Bazzu- not. Bazzu- like, Bazuna's conceded six goals so far. That that might be a hard sell for Man United. Well, fans. so was De Gea. <laughs> you know, so I know, but let's replace him with another. <laughs> anyway, listen, those uh, don't think anyone's going to leave Liverpool to go to United and Bazuna. That's the well, it's it's. Job but but uh, but my, the question here is. Is Ten, is Ten Hag going to recognise and deal with this? Or is he just going to yeah. kind of stick his fingers in his ears and go, let's hope this is all right on the night? Because if he does the second, it's not going to work and it's going to be, it's going to be brief, right? <laughs> this is going to be a brief story. Um, and that's and that's really and then the other the other thing is obviously it's the young situation. I mean, he came on for Barcelona. They they drew with they drew their opening match of the season, nil uh, nil. He came on and obviously improved the team. Is he going to? end up at Man United. I mean, it's, it's looking less likely, I feel. Like, obviously, he, they, United think, yes, they, they, they believe that he might join, but so do Chelsea. Someone is getting lied to. Please, please, Frankie, come to the club where literally no one's career has been improved by joining. But how long can that continue? For the last continue? 10 years. <laughs> how long? I, I will be the man to save Manchester United. How long can that continue? It's the sort of thing an we, egotistical footballer might think. Yes. We've got a new, uh, a new regime here in place. Mm. Uh, the rules have changed. The Manchester black hole. Yeah. The Manchester career black holes. Yeah, you uh, no, don't even call the Manchester United anymore. Let's see how your press resistance works out, and <laughs> you know, and let it flow, right? You know, like let's 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 see what you've got. Um, but but he he needs to decide about that as well, right? Because if they get to the end and it hasn't happened and they haven't got anyone else, then again, you know, it's like, well, this is just going to be really. He could really resign difficult. on September second. Head held high. I tried to manage Manchester United. I failed, and he'll be. PSG manager within six months. But he's already looking. If I was Eric Ten Hag, that's what I'd do. I'd reti- I'd resign on the sec- September the 2nd if they, did, if they don't sign like eight players. Because like they need eight players. In the lookalike stakes with yours truly, he's already starting to look like he's out of one or two years even over the first yeah, couple really. of weeks. Er- yeah. Eric Ten Haggard. Yeah. <laughs> suggest. Three more months of this one, he'll look exactly the same as you. Nice. Uh, eight touches, of course, just for Erling Haaland. Um, this was... A, a valiant attempt on R- Romelu Lukaku's record, although he only had seventy-four minutes on the pitch. Lukaku um, was Lukaku out there for the whole for the whole game? I believe so. Uh, that was against Palace, and they won one nil. Chelsea won one nil. Whereas City won five, four nil, five, four, 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 four nil. nil. Um, they so declared at four. A pretty handsome um, victory. Mark Travers started well, made a good save from Foden, uh, and then, of course, there was. Probably a few too many shots to deal with, really. Yeah, it was slightly a fall for one goal, but he still made a few decent saves in the second. I don't think he'd pin this one on Travers. Haaland did get an assist. With his, he hadn't touched the ball for the first 20 minutes nearly and yeah. then gets a lovely assist for... That sort of Balotelli-style, um, almost falling over, yeah. little feed the ball into the path of the onrushing player. Balotelli's only assist for Man City was the, was the one for Aguero. But, um, he, yeah, I mean, it's, it's eight touches. It's kind, of, it's kind of comical, but obviously the reason is because of Bournemouth's Basically, playing a box of ten players 
in the area where he was supposed to be on the pitch all the time. So it's like Guardiola said, well, I mean, he can't, he's supposed to be there. If he, he, there's no point in him actually coming out of there because, you know, older players are still going to be there. So, mm. um, yeah, sometimes this happens. Hasn't happened before with a, it's the lowest pass, I think, for any Man City player ever. But, you know, it's just one of those things. Everyone was expecting to score four goals against Bournemouth. And, mm. yeah. and I guess th- th- those of us broadcasting it on television, Ken, and building it up pre match, were hoping for more than just one assist from Erling Haaland. I'll tell you that. But at the same time, there was some, there was a lot to admire in the yeah. Man City performance. And more than one touch for every. 10 minutes that he was yeah. on the, or part of 10 minutes that he was on the field there was one bit Sorry. there was one bit during where Foden got in you know that position where Man City players always cut it back even before they have this recognised striker and Foden shot and actually Travers made a really good save on it but Haaland was fuming just, just jumping up and yeah. down and Pep said afterwards that was right at the beginning yeah that yeah, was yeah. Travers said. and Pep said afterwards they have to know Erling's in there always going to be there just kick he's always going to be there just kick the ball into him yeah. give it to him and he will that. he will be there uh, the other thing just which is worth noticing Arsenal again another great win and again, another brilliant performance by Jesus two goals two assists and Martinelli looking really good as well he scored in both games um, Gabriel Jesus' quotes um, to ESPN Brazil uh, I feel like I'm back to being the Gabriel from before thinking I'm the number nine I'm there to finish to help to not only score goals as well I'm back as I've said before I'm a little bit like a Varzea player so, which translates I guess as a sort of a casual Sunday player or whatever mm. um, I'm not a robot that stays put I want to move I want to fight I want to compete today I almost scored with a great ball from Aaron Ramsdale I fought and almost got the goal that is the Gabriel the Gabriel but just I mean obviously what's interesting about it is just the suggestion that like from before before when before before you joined Man City, I'm not a robot. Yeah, the says. nightmare, the nightmare. Uh, four years at Man City where he won three leagues. <laughs> well, he's not a robot anymore, and he's uh, well. Arsenal are are feeling the benefits. It happened to me on the dart. It's time to get busy, this motherfucker. Like we always do about this time. Okay, I'm going to reveal a piece of information now. Well, I haven't, I haven't smoked a cigarette in four days. <laughs> What I'm saying is this guy, cheer up. How about you wake up? Last time I took the dart, I was over to split. Wake up. Wake up to what's happening in the, in the world. Hey, Pat, do you want to split? Well, on this, the 30th anniversary of the birth of the Premier League, this special occasion, we've got two special guests for you. The currency's Dion Fanning. Hey, Dion. Hey, Owen. How's it going? And Laurie Whitwell, who covers Manchester United for the Athletic. Laurie, how are you? I'm good, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. Good, good. Uh, an action-packed weekend, Dion, I'm sure you can say, on and off the field. Will we start with... <laughs> well, we, we have our football back, according to Graeme <laughs> Souness. Oh, I'm not quite sure what exactly that means. But what did you make of the uh, the scenes at the end of the Chelsea Spurs game? Um, I think, like everybody, including Graeme Souness and Jamie Carragher, I, I thought they were tremendous um, great scenes. Um, I think. I think with managers, nobody. It's, it's very. It's so. It's just lip service is paid to the idea that we don't want to see this kind of thing. Uh, it, it's really. It's so half-hearted when people say it because clearly it's exactly what we want to see. Like there is, there is no downside to managers being sent off. Like there is no. There is nothing. Like you know, you, you can get a red card in a match and you think that's entertaining but it now ruins the game or whatever. Whereas managers being sent off, it's just, uh, it improves, <laughs> it improves the game. Yeah. So it was, uh, it was, um, it was just part of, you know, I, I think I more or less, I could see where I think Graeme Souness was just, um, 
the adrenaline, the, the, the combination of, uh, you know, the 30th anniversary, just put, putting all of this into context and the fact that it was such an adrenaline fueled weekend. I think he was just overcome with the uh, with with sort of the love for the for the for, for our Premier League, our league, as he as he kept calling it. And uh, he just reminded me of somebody. It's like, you know, during the kind of Queen's Jubilee or something when you interview some, somebody outside Buckingham <laughs> Palace and they're just weeping with love for the monarchy. Like, that's uh, that's where Soonest was, I think, on Sunday. <laughs> well, is this, I mean, is this the game that you grew up watching, doing hair pulling, middle-aged men yeah, going at each other and, and getting sent off? Is this the, what the, 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 those two... Um, I mean, as soon as was, was, was being nostalgic about it as though this is the way things used to be, I can't remember those types of things that were happening. Well, no, I th- but I, what I think is interesting in that regard is that I think there's, there's a kind of, <clears throat> there's an escalation. Like, I think that the, the Premier League um, has always, has always um, had this element of, uh, of soap opera and that terrible word, but narrative attached to it too um and it to to remain it's almost like it it's it, it does it it does it kind of uh organically but to remain compelling it sort of it always has to kind of expand its horizons in terms of what what those narratives are going to be um and in a way uh and this doesn't this isn't the two incidents you mentioned don't really fall into that but this idea that they're going to keep the game flowing uh, is a, is a kind of almost a way of 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 developing that too because it is it's, it's such a ludicrous idea really when you analyze it um that you know we're going to let some fouls are not actually going to be considered fouls uh it's an absurd point of view to have but in a way it creates this sort of energy um around the premier league which makes it compelling and i was watching you know when i like when Sunas was going on last yesterday i was kind of thinking he kind of has a point, like not in terms of like there's no league like this. Nobody people have to be ready for our league in a way that they wouldn't be ready uh, for any other league. But that that commitment to uh, to the storyline is something that has kept the Premier League at the top for a lot longer than any other any other league. Whether it stays there, I don't know, but it has actually kept it as as as, as a at the top in terms of being a compelling. Attraction. It is. It has. It has done that for for longer than other leagues. That you know, Carragher mentioned Sunis's time at, in Serie A last night, and you know that th- those leagues faded in a way that the Premier League hasn't. And maybe it's because of these things. It says, and I don't you know. I didn't grow up watching managers doing that, but you know, I remember being at Stamford Bridge uh, for the the John Terry. Um, John Terry Wayne Bridge handshake, you know, like did I grow up? Did I grow up waiting to see if two players who who may or may not have been involved in the who you know whose private lives may have overlapped in in certain ways? Uh, did I grow up watching that kind of football? No, I didn't. But at the same time, that day at Sanford Bridge, it was it was the thing that everyone was there to kind of talk about. So mm. it's always had this element that. Uh, and, and reinvents itself in terms of what those details are, but that element has always been there. So, like, do you agree with uh, Dion's point of view here, which, if I can summarise it, is uh, people like wrestling, the Premier League should be more like wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a very fair synopsis of what Dion was saying, Ken. Um, 
I loved it though. I, yeah, didn't everyone? Because you know we've had you know a long summer uh, where there's been uh, no football because of a lovely Winter World Cup coming up. But um, you know we're back. This is what it's about, right? You know, two proper managers going at it on the sidelines. Um, and each time you thought that the story of the day was over, you know, like so, you kind of thought that okay, Tuchel running down the touchline that was the kind of the exclamation mark on this uh, touchline rivalry. Then you get the extra bit. Then you get the full-time whistle and this kind of Strictly Come Dancing twist and turn as the handshake is kind of gripped onto by Thomas Tuchel and you've got to look him in the eye when you shake someone's hand. Do, do you always look somebody in the eye when you, when you shake their hand? I mean, I, I guess that is a, a, a usual social uh, prerequisite. Um, but I, I just thought it was, it was great fun. I kind of wanted more replays. Um, I, I did kind of wonder what the trigger was, though, because I think the first bit of Conte going over and celebrating the equaliser he was kind of directing it at somebody else in the Chelsea back room I don't know if, if this got cleared up without me realising but then Tuchel kind of comes and defends his guy mm. and gets right up in his grill um, uh, which I don't know I, I kind of quite like people say that they're actually friends or, or that they kind of respect each other off the pitch um, but then you also have the Instagram post from Conte which is obviously the modern era of how these things continue uh, you know a Premier League manager making an Instagram story or whoever does it on his behalf um, sort of continuing to pour the pour the fuel on the uh, on the flames, I suppose. Um, but I did kind of think, you know, in terms of the nostalgia element. I mean, didn't we have Paul Gascoigne grabbing um, Vinnie Jones? The other way balls? around, but yes, other way around. Sorry, uh, and, and you know, Roy Keane stamping on Gareth Southgate. That's a bit more aggressive. But you know, we've had these kind of flashpoints where you've these kind of crazy episodes. I suppose that doesn't quite translate to them managers um, acting it out. But I guess these are two guys that want to show their dominance of of their coaching abilities, their managerial abilities at two big clubs where the pressure's on. Um, I guess they kind of both felt they had to perform a role there. But what do you think, though, of the 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 basic underlying logic of what, say, Sunis was saying, Carragher afterwards, um, was the referees are letting a lot more go, right? The, you know, this is the... And it's clear, like, you know, watching the game so far this season, you can push someone over from behind now and it's not fell. You know, I yeah. mean, so well, that, yeah, that was a penalty, wasn't it? Old Trafford. I, I mean, that, that was that to, was the most yeah. sort of blatant one. But this, this is this kind of thing's been happening uh, the whole time. Is this actually a good trend? I mean, the referees are ignoring what are fouls. I mean, I, I saw in the Athletic uh, this morning. I can't remember which piece it was in, but someone had referred to a study in Germany where they found essentially the more fouls you commit, the fewer goals you concede. More fouls means fewer goals. How is this better? Mm, good study. I need to go and read my own website, don't I, <laughs> <laughs> for that one. It was in the Chelsea um, section. There we go, yeah. <laughs> I've got enough on my plate with Man United at the moment to, uh, to go elsewhere. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I always, I'm intrigued by your interpretation of certain fouls, Ken, because I, I love how granular you get with, with things. Because I thought that Benton core one on Havertz, I could see why he didn't give that. I mean, it probably is a foul, but I can equally, I'm not like so vexed about it that I'm, you know, like a Chelsea um, supporter is saying how, you know, Anthony Taylor can never referee our matches again. I, I kind of felt like it was it was kind of close. Okay, the hair pulling on Kukureya just should have been a foul, shouldn't it? Like, it's, it's clear. Um, so that, that goal shouldn't have stood the second one. But, I don't know, should I, I should have felt... been a red card though, because because that's the, the the reason why they they sort of don't do anything. Is obviously it's a foul, um, but VAR can't just give a foul. Like it, they don't just give free kicks. Like say if it had been the other yeah. way around, they could have given a penalty for that. But the only right. way that they can intervene there, I guess, is if they say actually this has to be a red card against Romero. 
do you think it was a red card? I mean, to, to pull someone's hair like that, I mean, that's, is it a red card? I mean, it, it seems like it probably should be. Yeah, I mean, is it violent conduct? It's it's kind of, it's pretty aggressive, isn't it? And the, the way, I suppose, the manner of it. I, I'm trying to think, if we had hair pulling incidents like that? I know people... I remember Luis Suarez be- pulled the hair of uh, one of the twins, one of the Man United twins. Yes, yeah. And Which there one? was a Fellaini, the, the, the sex masochism <laughs> incident with yes. Devon Hall, I think was Fellaini's hair. <laughs> so it's always these curly-headed players who, who get victimised by this. They're, they're asking for it. I mean, uh, we had Hannibal Mesbury, who's a, a young player at United. He, he was playing 21s games last season and he was getting his hair pulled. And to kind of rectify the matter, he, he kind of pinned it up and, and did it in a little bun. So, um, you know, I, I mean, it does seem a little bit unfair that you've kind of got to temper your your hairdo depending on um, who might be your opponent but I suppose you know someone like Romero it was literally the most Romero thing you know he could have done he, he is he is this you know poster boy for dark arts of defending isn't he so he's obviously I mean you put Kukure against him he's, he's obviously shorter than him anyway uh, Kukure so it seemed a bit of a mismatch but then also you've got this guy with long frizzy hair against this guy that will literally do anything to get an upper hand he's obviously going to pull his hair so I'm not, I'm not saying that's uh, Thomas Tuchel's fault for putting them up against each other but it was a uh, I suppose you might consider that um, in future but um, I don't know I, I don't think you can get a red for that that would seem harsh to me to get a red so therefore I guess the VAR can't intervene right mm. uh, Dion um, Laurie referred there to the Chelsea fans saying Anthony Taylor can never referee uh, another Chelsea game we need to we need to campaign on this the man is corrupt <laughs> and we, you know we have to do something about this and you see all these Chelsea supporters around the world doing um, doing videos about how you know everyone can see this that the corruption is so blatant we, we've got to stop it you must think this is a good development uh, this is this all adds to the narrative richness <laughs> of, of the league supporters are convinced that that referees are not just incompetent but but actually corrupt uh yeah, I think you know we can sometimes enjoy the uh, entertainment while while fearing fearing the consequences. Um, and it's not just the uh, Chelsea fans. Uh, Tuchel said that uh, that Anthony Taylor should be banned from from refereeing future Chelsea games. So it isn't. Uh, I don't think it's just people sitting in their bedrooms making videos who um, who are saying this. Uh, and it seems like I agree with Laurie. Like I, I di- I didn't see. I didn't see the kind of massive injustice that that they that Ch- Chelsea latched onto in the aftermath as as you know I didn't just see it I didn't see it in in the game I thought like the goals you you could make a case for for the goals uh, not being given but they weren't they weren't they weren't egregious miscarriages of justice that uh, mean that you know that this this campaign uh, is justified and I do I think it is like the one thing the one area like there are many areas where where where, where uh, VAR has kind of failed but the one area where i really hoped it would it would make a difference would be that it would end huge post match analysis of uh, refereeing decisions and was this a penalty or was this not and clearly it hasn't um, and it is it is the most um, it is the most uninteresting element, I think, of kind of football analysis, like just going over incidents. I think BT Sport, especially, would 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 do it a lot. With with you know, Jake Humphrey is, is kind of it seems to be something he loves to analyse, uh, and you, it, hours seemingly disappear as they analyse um, penalty decisions, and yeah. it's. Uh, and it, it does, and clearly, it, there's a reason why they're doing that because it's the stuff that supporters get 
worked up by and feel feel aggrieved by. But it well, doesn't... it's also because because the referees now are clearly ignoring video evidence. It's not just oh I didn't see that. It's yeah I've had a look at that and it's fine. Previously, a referee could say, "Oh, I missed the I missed the incident," but now it's like, "No, we've decided to ignore that because we're corrupt." Is the logic? You know, that's I think I think this is something actually that that's that's kind of inherent to to VAR. It's like it takes away the alibi of yeah, it's, you know, I've only got one pair of eyes. Now it's like we're all watching this and we've we've just waved that one through because we want your team to lose. Yeah, well, I think that's what happens with the Romero incident as well because people think well, you know. Uh, this, this should have been picked up, and then it's um, it you know the the uh, the sort of the the detail, the fact that you know they can't intervene unless it's a sending off. Now, I actually this may or may not um, be be a good argument for the idea that he should have been sent off. But I did read Peter Walton today saying that uh, uh, Romero should have been sent off for that hair pull. Um, now, given Peter Walton's track record, people might think that that's you know he's, he's, it wasn't a sending off at all. But it, it could have it could have it could have led to that. And yeah, and it does it does it does cr- create a sense of it does it does help create that sense of uh, victimhood and conspiracy if there's also video and things are ignored. But I also I do think that's the way things have gone as well, not just in football but in the world where. Um, every there is there there is very few situations. No matter how much factual um, evidence appears to be on on one side, there is very little situation that doesn't become polarizing and divisive. Well, the, I mean, the idea that the first goal should be disallowed for a foul that happened up the other end of the pitch, after which Chelsea got the ball back twice and gave it away. Like, well, you know, once it just bounced off one of their players, but they they recovered possession at another point and then gave it away again. And it's you know, it's uh, whatever. Forty five seconds later, the, ball, the goal is scored is absolutely ridiculous. But as you're saying, Dion, we don't get bogged down in each of these individual decisions. I do want to ask you about Spurs here and what's going on under Conte this season. They say themselves, Harry Kane said, "Look, we didn't actually play very well. We probably didn't deserve a point." but we got one and that's exactly the kind of point you might have imagined them not getting in the pre-Conte era yeah um, the Chelsea were Chelsea were much better for, for most of the game and again uh, it is interesting how because of the summer that Tottenham had and the and the time Chelsea have had not just since the summer but obviously since um, Russia invaded Ukraine. Um, that the the sense has been okay. Here, Spurs are Spurs are are on on the march and are going to kind of overtake Chelsea. But the kind of core quality in Chelsea and and the progress that still required by Conte was was there to be seen in the in the in the general play. But as you say, the fact that they did then get a point allows people to believe that maybe this is something different under. Under Conte, um, and but I still think there's there's probably um, a way to go. Although you know, again, he left the players, he left the signings, the new signings were on the bench. They they will come into it. Richarlison made a big difference when he came on, um, and it was ideal game for him. I think just because there was that competitive edge. Uh, but I I think it's. Uh, I still think there's a, a good bit of of work to go to do for for Tottenham to actually come close to Ch- like Chelsea are still that that team who kind of and they did this last season as well where they began the season very well and actually looked like on the back of the Champions League that they are, they were really going to challenge uh, Liverpool and Manchester City but it, you know it didn't happen now maybe this season Chelsea can sustain that although the uh, 
the circumstances, you know, it, it isn't going to be the Abramovich era, but I still think there's enough quality there. The signings they've made means that they've got a better chance than Spurs. Larry, can you remind me again why... Remind us all, why is Antonio Conte not managing Manchester United at the moment? <laughs> can you imagine Antonio Conte at Manchester United, uh, you know, in, in this current era of uh, indecisiveness and uh, inability to get deals done? I know, maybe he would have been the personality they needed. Maybe he would have had the transformative uh, effect. So they I wouldn't think Spurs be were in a pretty bad way when he, when he took over there and he seems to have whipped yeah. them into line pretty fast. Yeah, yeah, but they've got Paratici, haven't they, who is an experienced uh, sporting director with connections, you know, was able to get Kulazewski and Benton Core in through those connections. You've got Daniel Levy, who, okay, you can criticise various decisions he's made in his career, but, you know, can also, he, he does know a lot of people in football and, and can get deals done. I just think that Conte would have come into United, um, you know, <laughs> torn his hair out, um, you know, his, his well-paid-for hair out um, pretty quickly and... Um, you know, it would it would have ended in disaster. I'm I'm sure of it. Whereas here, there was an element of end of last season where Conte was putting pressure on the Spurs board to get signings in, and I think there was a sort of summit talk, wasn't it, at the end of last season? And the result of that was no, we will get signings in quickly. That was what he was told. And then actually, you know, Tottenham delivered. You know, that the signings that they made all look pretty sensible. I know there's a bit of. Uh, conflict maybe over the Jed Spence thing because um, he's got uh, Emerson Royale and, and, and Matt Doherty there to cover that spot and, and you know, maybe that was a club signing rather than him but equally at the same time he's got Perisic um, he's got Richarlison I mean you look at the substitutions that he was able to make to try and get Spurs back into that game yeah they weren't playing well and they probably you know, they didn't deserve a point did they but he was still able to kind of change the system and, and put a, a Premier League player on who has got you know, a good scoring record in Richarlison um, you know, United just aren't at that level at the moment. Yeah. Um, there was a story reported everywhere yesterday, which sounded like um, fan fiction, like some kind of revenge fantasy. Uh, and it was that Eric Ten Hag cancelled Manchester United's day off and made everybody run 13.8 kilometres <laughs> because that's how much further Brentford ran than them. <laughs> Even Ronaldo had to run 13.8 kilometres, <laughs> you report today. I mean, yeah. that is, well, well, what do you make of the situation? I mean, the, the, the fact that, like, it, it is, it seems like one of the most galling things for United fans that, that this happened in the first place. And I, I don't mean what, what Ten Hag has done, but I mean that they ran like 95 kil- kilometers or something in the game. Like, they, they, it, it's, it's the most basic indicator of our team just doesn't try as hard as other teams. Yeah. And that's what Ten Hag is furious over. Um, you know, pre season, that was something that looked like, was happening at United. He, he was happy with what was going on. Um, and now, you know, we, we can probably discuss the Ronaldo aspect to it. Ken, I'm sure yeah. you've got some thoughts on that, but um, it is interesting. And yeah, he was on the bench for the first half against Brighton, um, but it is interesting that his, you know, his return to the starting lineup has kind of seen this this fall in, in running stats. And I think Ten Hag's made the decision to go old school we're talking about nostalgia early weren't we you know this is a very kind of old school method to get your players in running just just kind of make that point and I think Tenard probably thinks I'm in a real uh, difficult position here already two games into his tenure um, I have to make this kind of point right now otherwise I'm never going to get a chance to Um, so you know he's got the players in you know whether they ultimately respond to it we'll see but I think the Ronaldo aspect is probably the biggest thing for him to deal with at the moment. I think we report this morning that, you know, the original idea that he wanted to keep Ronaldo has uh, waned uh, once Ronaldo's in the building. Ronaldo, I think, has 
you know, uh, the options for him to leave have um, seemed to go away. But by the same token, I think he still ultimately wants to. You know, there's that Champions League goals record um, plus some group stage goals against Lionel Messi that he wants to overtake. Um, so, you know, this is a season for that, obviously. Um, and I think ultimately Ten Hag probably thinks now that actually if we can somehow, you know, you know, let Ronaldo leave, sell him somewhere, I don't even know if they necessarily he feels like he, he would want to have to replace him. I think he just feels like get back to that pre-season squad where everyone was on the same page and listening to my instructions because as far as we're told, Ronaldo has shown some resistance to the pressing um, instructions that Ten Hag's delivered. This, um, this, it, Laurie, this is the, the, the line that really stood out in, in your piece about this. Mm. Uh, the Atlantic is told that those were each lunch alone at the cantina Carrington while he has been seen flapping his arms about in training and attempting to argue against the high-pressing approach favoured by the new manager. <laughs> like yeah. that's, so, so, I mean, that's like the, the, the most basic principle of what Ten Hag is trying to do. And the highest profile player in the squad apparently is, 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 is arguing after one or two matches of the season that like that's that's a completely untenable situation like the, there was a report yesterday sky report and i don't know if they were just sort of following what they saw in the times but their the report which they then sort of deleted the tweet of it was saying that united are thinking about kind of cancelling ronaldo's contract paul hurst in time said you know uh, his demeanor is said to be worsening the atmosphere with one source describing the Portugal forward as a walking bad mood so the idea was that maybe they might just sort of unilaterally say look this isn't working and pay him off sky obviously couldn't stand that up and united i think have denied it but those stories don't come out of thin air no yeah united denied it strongly you know he's not for sale etc etc but i mean I, I guess they have to like what else can they do um certainly as far as our understanding is that is a decision that is being considered i, I don't know if they actually would uh, get to that point as a club, whether they think that actually, you know, it all goes back to Joel Glazer, doesn't it? He will ultimately make that call, really, which sounds crazy because he's the owner and, and really should delegate that to the people on the football side. But, um, you know, he has control of the finances. And if he thinks that Cristiano Ronaldo is an asset to Manchester United for whatever reason, uh, commercially, um, then that ultimately is a decisive uh, factor in what happens. Um you could also say, though, that by keeping Ronaldo and, you know, the mood, as Paul Hurst has described, I, I, that's the same thing that I've heard, that um, he is, as we've said in the piece, you know, eating lunch alone. I know that sounds like a minor point, but he's, he's kind of cutting an isolated figure. He's obviously making it clear that he doesn't want to be here. So, you know, is that then having a, uh, a knock-on effect for the, the values of other players if they're, if they're not showing their full self? You know, we, we looked in pre-season. I know it's pre-season, and, and, and as Roy Keane says, fine until the real action starts, but... Um, you know, Rashford looked like a, you know, a sharp player again. Sancho looked, looked on it. You know, even Anthony Martial, but Anthony Martial is a slightly different um, kettle of fish because, you know, he, he hasn't um, shown that consistently enough. I don't think. But you know, you had a, had some sprouts of uh, encouragement, I suppose. And so their their values by looking like they did on on Saturday evening. You know, footballers. You know, who, who would buy those guys at the moment? Um, you know, their, their values are, are decreasing. So you have to take the Surely United have to take a holistic approach and think, well, you know, fine, Ronaldo has a certain value, but do other players not also have value? Uh, and is, is his remaining at United going to have an effect on that? I think it's kind of incredible from uh, Ten Hag's point of view and from the sort of uh, trying to analyse what Ten Hag is planning that, uh, as Larry said, that he's changed his mind on Ronaldo. 
because like you do when you when you read that you're going like what due diligence did he do like what, what, what was he not paying attention it's like he liked the idea of ronaldo or something yeah uh, like, but like to, sudden, suddenly when he encountered him he's like hold on this isn't what i expected <laughs> at all uh, and uh, like it's exactly what everyone else expected and again, you know, when you like Ten Hag is there, and it's like the idea that's coming out. You know, this is this is one of the worst situations ever encountered. Of course, it is. Like it is. This is what Manchester United has been. And if you paid attention to last season, um, you would have known, and you would have surely realised that there's really strong, swift action needed to be taken. Now, I know that that's not the way United have moved in the transfer market. Isn't down to him, but again, uh, it's just he hasn't helped in that sense of kind of confusion and mm. Ronaldo really points to that like the idea that you would suddenly go um like god I actually I've realized we can't Ronaldo isn't going to work in this in this pressing game at all um when that would be should be obvious the idea that somehow you can bend Ronaldo's will to what you want uh is either massively narcissistic and egotistical or just idiotic um, but it's just never going to happen you know Ronaldo is Ronaldo for better and for worse and that doesn't that Ten Hag wasn't, isn't going to change that so and what that then tells you about his how, how he's going to whether he's going to succeed or fail at Manchester United in general I think is 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 a critical point as well because if, if you're if you're that wrong about that key decision um what else are you going to be wrong about well maybe he's wrong about trusting his goalkeeper to be able to implement his passing out from the back style because it certainly backfired spectacularly at the weekend Laurie I'm, I'm reading a, a very cogent writer in the Irish Times named Ken Early who says after Brentford it's clear that Ten Hag is going to have to choose between his system and his goalkeeper obviously everybody's been talking about Ronaldo that's been hanging over the whole summer but is David De Gea, for all his strengths, the exact wrong type of goalkeeper for Eric Ten Hag to have in this Manchester United team? Yeah, I, I think that is a real interesting area and it has kind of gone under the radar because, you know, David De Gea was the player's player of the season last year and, you know, you kind of think, OK, that, that seems like an OK situation. We've got a goalkeeper that can stop, you know, balls going in the net. Um, but, you know, we spoke to David De Gea in pre-season after we saw him uh, play against Liverpool in, in that friendly in Bangkok and he, he came out of his goal you know way more frequently than you'd been used to it was clear that, that was kind of instruction so we asked him you know do you feel comfortable playing out do you feel comfortable coming off your line which are the two kind of things that have been he's been criticised for and he you know flat batted both of them said I've always been able to do it no problem you know that kind of thing when okay, I've just never let's... done it but I've just never actually done it but I've always yeah. been able to do it <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So we were like, fine, what else? You know, we can't force him to say anything else. But, um, you know, the proof is in the pudding, as we've seen. I mean, that it was just bizarre, wasn't it, against Brentford? The fact that, okay, you've seen that they're set up and then you still play that pass into Ericsson. And more so that they're kind of waiting for it to happen. You know, you, if you're going to take a, a short goal kick, just, just go quickly. And it's always like United seem to kind of get the goal kick, wait, okay, right. And then Brentford go, okay, they're going to take a short one, let's get in position. And then then he actually kicks it short rather than even go long, which is what I think Ten Hag had kind of said he should have done and kind of trained on. So it is an interesting area. We, we did a piece, uh, Dan Sheldon and I, in The Athletic last week where we spoke about the fact that actually United are still looking for a goalkeeper. Now all summer, they've been looking for a number three, basically, thinking that Tom Heaton could be the number two. 
I think Ten Hag looked at that situation, decided Tom Heaton can't be his number two for the same reasons that David De Gea really probably isn't his ideal number one. You know, this is Tom Heaton again, very good professional, good shot stopper, but it played for Burnley in the Premier League for six years, and you know, playing out from the back wasn't his uh, modus operandi there. So Ten Hag's kind of gone in, and I think the Dean Henderson interview has crystallised that in his mind a little bit. You know, he's you've got a guy here who's very confident, who's who's not afraid to say that he he feels like he should have been a number one. And Tenag's going, well, we, we let him out the door sort of before I was properly in. Um, like, actually, we, we're going to change focus and, and I want a number two to, to, to then possibly push De Gea as, as number one. It, uh, for, so the, so the, 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 the recruitment side of things have now raised the budget for the, the goalkeeper that they can kind of go for. But it's all, again, you know, sort of three weeks to go, two and a half weeks to go in the transfer window. So, But that has been another change where, you know, it, it looked like they were going for one direction and now they've actually, you know, decided, okay, we've got to go for... A higher band of goalkeeper. Yeah, the other issue, Laurie, at the moment is the um, is what always happens when when things go badly at United. Uh, is the ownership um, questions sort of flare up again? And you know, we played earlier the little exchange between Redknapp and Neville, where that you know Neville seemed to want to talk about the ownership and Redknapp wanted to talk about the game. And I found myself kind of on, you know, disturbingly on Redknapp's side, uh, just because. While these while these ownership conditions are obviously terrible, and and we kind of know about all these long term issues, I don't see why that should kind of invalidate discussion of how the team, the the manager, whoever the people who are there, completely make a mess of an individual game, such as they did at, at uh, Brentford. The question here, though, really is: Do you have any reason to think that this situation might be about to change in the short term? Because the Glazer family have always been unpopular owners. They've always been bad owners. <laughs> they've always just made loads of money. Um, they've just been making money the whole time. And I don't really understand uh, why they w- would want to change that situation. Do you think, there, uh, do, you, do you have a, a different expectation? Do you think actually something might be about to happen here? You, you hear rumblings, you hear the suspicion that, um, the suspicion rather, <laughs> that um, people are, you know, get gathering together and thinking this could be a time to strike. I mean, you know, the fact that the Super League failed, that was that was their kind of um, escape through the trap door of United's value is going to rocket here and then we can cash out and make billions and billions. Um, they might only make billions now, I suppose, um, if they sold the club. Uh, there's perhaps two more ways that they could raise the value of the club um, when you look at selling media rights individually rather than collectively um, with the Premier League, uh, the broadcast revenues, and then also something to do with NFTs or the metaverse or something. I mean, it's above my head, but that's apparently the two different ways that United could go back to that you know, in- incredible valuation that I think they were aiming for. Um, the Chelsea thing has change the landscape a bit you know that went for more than people were expecting so I think for what three and a half billion was it um, so clearly the Glazers would want more than that for Man United even though the share price is you know down on what it launched at 10 years ago uh, and the fact that that, that sort of in, in, that suggests that the value of the club is, is declining um, yeah I, I don't know what they will do every time we ask you know the, the idea is that you know Joel is committed to the club um, and the family you know don't want to sell but they do keep you know cashing out shares uh, little by little there's they're also doing a fan share scheme. Um, we'll see the substance of that in, in due course, but that's something that to kind of keep an eye on, I suppose. Um, most uh, the sports organisation are very keen to have that have real teeth, I suppose. Um, but I, I mean, in terms of the Red Knapp and Gary Neville uh, debate, I, I found it compelling television, I have to say, just because I think you have to admire 
Gary Neville's passion and he was informed on the subject. Um, and I also admire Jamie Redknapp kind of pushing back quite a lot, you know, and you're right, you know, you obviously can't absolve a manager and the team from a 4-0 defeat at Brentford. You know, you have to scrutinise that absolutely. But also, at what point do you then broaden out the conversation more widely to talk about the owners? Because ultimately it all stems from their takeover of the club and, and how they run the club and the people that they put in place, irrespective of the amount of money they spend. Um, well, it's the, it's the club's money that they spend, obviously. So I kind of feel like, why can't they have that kind of discussion after a 4-0 defeat? Because when else are you going to do it? On a sort of Tuesday afternoon when you've got nobody else watching, I feel like that's the prime moment to kind of get that kind of conversation into the public conscience. Uh, and yeah, everything stems from them in terms of the people that they've put in place. They haven't hired best in class. Um, they, uh, you know, decisions they get involved in and that, that leads to... Uh, deadlock on on progressing the club in certain ways. I mean, you know, the Super League provoked them into talking about stadium redevelopment and, and the training ground. You know, we're still kind of that's that's years away that, that anything like that is going to actually be seen. Um, uh, you know, it, again, the proof is in the pudding. Joel Glazer now does speak to um, fans via a, a sort of um, the not the fans forum. He did that once, but he's, he's got the fan advisory board that he speaks to. He's, he's spoken to them twice. Um, that should be a continuing thing where. You can actually hear from fans about what they think about the club, but again, you know what what does that ultimately mean? You know, on the ground, I think people would just like to see a club higher in best in class, where you've got real debate between um, people in the recruitment team and um, the football structure, rather than have you know a kind of drift that seems to be going along with your Man United at the moment. Laurie, Dion, thanks so much, and happy Premier League thirtieth birthday to you both. Thanks, guys. Cheers, guys. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's a beautiful summer's day. The breeze is stupendous. 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 Would this podcast be even more stupendous without ads? Without ads? Ads. If so, then join us for daily commercial-free shows at secondcaptains.com for just five euro a month. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not bumping them up. I'm not Irish. I'm just saying my observations, they are amazing. Stupendous. Stupendous. There was so much going on this weekend, Ken, that I was worried you might have missed the latest example of Pep Guardiola. You know this tradition he has of overpraising players that he's about to over no specifically overpraising the human qualities of a player he's about to boot out the door yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can think this is the kind of thing i'm talking about we love him so much he's a he's a special person for all of us 
It's so nice. It's so nice. <laughs> so nice. It's so nice. Yeah, so that was Pep on the irreplaceable Sergio Aguero, who he had already decided to replace mm. uh, when he was making those comments. Pep has produced another one to add to the genre, talking about... Do you want to have a guess who he's talking about? Well, if you're saying that it's to do with players who might Booting be about to leave, I'm, I'm wondering if it's about Bernardo Silva. Yeah. It's about Bernardo Silva, who's linked with a move to Barcelona. Pep was asked about him during the week. 110% I want him to stay. I love him. I go weak when I talk about him. He is a special person. I don't know what is going to happen, but he knows how much we like him and want him and love him. <laughs> Sorry, is this DH Lords again? <laughs> I go weak when I talk about him equals give us another 10 million Barca and we might have a deal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I think he means it actually about Bernardo Silva. Like, I think he genuinely does love, well, like, I don't know if he loves Bernardo Silva, mm. you know, as a human being, but I think he loves him as a player. Although, you know, again, you know, it's like, um, wasn't Diego Torres saying Bernardo Silva's been pissed off since Pep started leaving him out? And he did leave him out a bit, which mm. which sort of... But I just... I don't know. I mean, I feel like he should love him. I knew that he didn't really love Aguero, right? So when he said when he yeah. was saying all that, he knew that this was... was but Bernardo Silva's a diminutive, skillful midfielder. Like, Bernardo Jesus Silva Christ, is, come on. Like, what more could he do? He's a perfect city player. Again, yeah. I just don't... I do not understand um, how this guy can end up playing for Barcelona this season... Like it's, it, I don't expect it to happen just because how can they afford it? Like it's, it's. Levers. I, I know, I know. But it's, come on, it's just, it's just bollocks. Like, come on. Say it, Ken. Say the word. Levers. I'm not going to say the word, but, you know, surely. But if, if they do, if City end up selling him, I think it's a big, big loss. You know, which mm. is why, again, why would City sell him now? Maybe, maybe say, look, okay, you know, this has been going on a while. You know, he's been kind of griping about this for a while maybe maybe next summer but like he's such a brilliant player you don't sell Bernardo Silva yeah. with like 10 days or what, two weeks to go or whatever and expect that to be fine I mean it's obviously they've got players like you know Grealish could could end up producing more maybe they've got they've a lot of good players like they've guys who can step into the, the mm. role or whatever but I don't know if they've got they, anyone they that do good. and they don't they've, they've sold quite a few players and they didn't have much on the bench the other day bar the obvious first two or three big name players come on after that there's a lot of academy and youth players that well he's got a 16 man first team squad 14 man he said 14 uh, sorry for, as in at the weekend he said it was just 14 yeah. players so he could be dicing if they lose Silva and don't replace him I think they're dicing with a serious lack of listen yeah. we've got our football back it's the, we're, we're, this is all a, we're literally talking about the, the 14 players that Liverpool played to win the league oh, yeah, in like yeah, 1979 yeah, yeah. but they should also all our, be from outside Manchester in and around Manchester yeah, exactly good. it's like Ireland Scotland Wales England that's it mm. 14 man squads a Republic of Ireland to the national would be and an, an exotic import and I'll tell you another thing those pitches are too bloody good as well aren't they <laughs> uh, it was great being back in the studio with you guys you can uh, it was tremendous son. you can look away now Murph that was an intense hour and a mm. bit just staring at each other fun though we just continue to do it off air no, I, no. I've, I've had no, let's fail. not do that thank thanks you. Murph thanks Ken thank you Owen thank, thank you Ken, Ken. Thank you, Owen, and thank you, Karen. Thanks for listening to the Second Captain's Podcast, which is part of the ACAST Creator Network. We've loads more football coverage during the week, including the first guests in this new studio, Heather O'Reilly, World Cup winner and triple Olympic champion on tomorrow's pod. And we're going to react to whatever happens tonight between Liverpool and Palace. That's all ready for you now. If you sign up to the World Service and you'll also hear the pods ad-free, just have a look at signing up on secondcaptains.com. It's the second time it's gone off. They never got home, they never got home, they never got home, those, those, those boys. It is not war and death and famine, it's not that at all. It's the opposite of that, it's the persuasion of the world outside of that. That's why sport's important.